This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for February 14th, 2018. In this episode, we'll have a look back at some of the top Mac security stories of the past year, plus tips and best practices for making backups. The Intego Mac Podcast is presented by Intego, makers of security and utility software exclusively for Apple products since 1997. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. So I had a slightly eventful week. Yeah, I, I heard something happened with your your website, your own, your own personal domain. Yeah, my website is kirkville.com, and this is where I have been running a blog for, gee, 15 years. I woke up on Monday morning, and I had some emails in my inbox from Google. Now, if you run a website and you use Google Analytics to track your traffic, which most people with websites of any importance do, you use something that's called the Google Search Console. And this is where you submit a sitemap and you get information about your searches and all that. And one of the things that Google Search Console does is as the, as the bot crawls your website, crawling is the term for when they index all your pages, it will look for malicious content. So my emails said, alert, hacked content found on Kirkville.com. Now, I was a bit surprised in part because I run this on WordPress and I use WordPress's Jetpack, which has a security module in it, and that regularly scans for files. You know, we've talked about phishing in previous episodes. And when you get one of those phishing emails, the websites that are hosting these malicious pages are usually just average blogs where someone has been able to hack in and insert a page that looks like something else in, in deep in the folders where the website owner will never see it. And so one of the things that Google does is it searches for that and it alerts people. Right. So what I found was that there were a number of sites listed that seemed to be related to my domain. Now, the main domain is Kirkville. The .com is the top-level domain. You can have .net, .org, etc. And the www is what's called a subdomain. Now, subdomains are used to separate traffic. So www is for web traffic. FTP is for file transfer. Mail is for email, etc. But you can also create your own subdomains. And for a while, I was running an iTunes forum on my server, and I had that at forum.kirkville.com. So anyone can set up subdomains for all sorts of reasons. And these, this so-called hack content was found at different subdomains latest.news.kirkville.com, medium.news.kirkville.com. And this was a bit surprising. Yeah, so how is that possible that somebody could have added subdomains to your domain without you knowing about it? Right, that's the problem. My website uses a tool called cPanel to manage it. Very common among websites when you're with a, a web host. And I logged into cPanel, went to the domain section, and I do have some subdomains but none of those were listed. So I immediately started worrying, first thinking that my account had been compromised, changed my password, and then I contacted the web chat of my hosting company, Namecheap. Long story short, it turns out that there was a vulnerability that someone had started exploiting, which would allow users to create subdomains for domains that they didn't own. Now, this was something on the DNS level, on the name server level. Yeah, we've talked about um, DNS before, I think. Um, but basically, just a quick recap is that DNS is the technology that really every computer, every device has these days that allows 
your so if you if you type in for example apple.com it knows where that site actually lives at its IP address its numerical IP address right which is not something that is very easy to remember but apple.com is really easy to remember right so something to do with the way they had set up their domains the way they had set up their name servers meant that there was a vulnerability and it was exploited now, I'll give credit to the company's technical people. They figured out the cause of this in about 45 minutes. They rolled out a patch not long after that. And what they have told me is that only 12 domains were affected. I was the first person to discover this. Now, since a lot of people don't use Google Analytics, it's very likely that if I hadn't seen this, they could have been doing this on hundreds of domains that weren't using Google Analytics and would have no way of knowing about this. Because if you look on your web server at the files, there are no files there. This subdomain is mapped to someone else's server. And in this case, it was located in Hungary. Wow, Hungary. Now, that's it's funny because I, I really I kind of have a hard time believing that really Kirk McElhern, who is on a security podcast, <laughs> was one of 12 people. That's it. Really? Only 12 accounts got compromised? Well, they said 12 domains. Basically, every shared hosting domain was vulnerable, but only 12 domains were actually compromised. The exploit was only used on 12 domains. It's true that the, the fact that I'm a journalist, I've been writing about security for a while, I do a security podcast with you, makes it all seem a little bit suspicious. These websites in question, they were merely lists of links to news articles on different websites with some Google ads in the sidebar, but some of these links might have been malicious. I didn't click any of the links. Some of them might have been phishing links later than that. Uh, so it's not really clear what the strategy was. Was it you create a subdomain to take advantage of the Google score of the main domain to maybe get your malicious site higher in the rankings hmm. and then make money either from ads or phishing or malware? Not very clear. Well, I'm, I'm glad that Namecheap at least got this issue resolved. But um, but yeah, that was for me, that was a big story. And when I heard about that in the middle of the week, the, you know, the register wrote about it. And of course, um, our friend Graham Cluley, who, who has his own security blog and podcast, talked about it. And and uh, yeah, that was that was a really, really surprising thing that uh, that a domain name registrar could um, have that kind of vulnerability. Yes, because they, they were initially a domain name registrar, but they said that this didn't affect the domain names that they were hosting as registrar. It only affected people in shared hosting because of the way they had the name servers set up for shared hosting people. So if you had your own server, a virtual private server or a dedicated server, apparently this wouldn't have affected you. Interesting. In any case, it, it is a good point, and I really didn't think about it. Uh, you know, I thought it was just a coincidence, but, you know, with this podcast and, and me being a journalist who's been writing about security, I wonder if there was something related there. Yeah, who knows? The world is, is after us. <laughs> yeah, well, well, in, in some cases, I mean, there have been cases, and we won't go into that now, but there have been cases where people, security journalists have been harassed. Yeah. And, and, and I'm sure you're familiar with a number of them, but that's the story for another day. I thought we'd start by looking back. We're in the beginning of February, and we've had enough time now to see what happened in 2017. And you recently wrote an article on the Intego Mac Security blog called A Look Back at the Top Mac Security Stories of 2017. Obviously, link in the show notes. And we're not going to talk about everything, but pick out the most important security issues of the year that are worth discussing. Sure. One of the trends that I noticed is that this year there was a ton of Mac malware. There were months when there were multiple 
samples of completely unrelated Mac malware. For example, in February, there was a ransomware, a new ransomware that was discovered. There was um, an advanced persistent threat, this new uh, malware that was released by this uh, uh, company organization, whatever that's called, uh, you know, uh, Sophacy. And you might have also heard the name Fancy Bear in the news. Um, and they, they came out with some Mac malware. There was something called iKitten. Oh. I know. Oh, iKitten. It's so sweet. <laughs> there was a Microsoft Word macrovirus, which if you've been following security for a long time, you probably haven't heard about Word or Excel macroviruses since the 90s. I mean, it's that long ago yeah, yeah. that these things were really popular. But but they used to be one of the classes of malware that was very serious on the Mac because they were cross-platform. And anyone who collaborated with people would be sending files back and forth, and they could mess up your Word installation and, and do stuff with your files and and copy information. And and they were one of the big issues back in the day, but it's true. I haven't heard those three words together, word macrovirus in years. Yeah. And there was a, a remote access Trojan. Um, and, and of course, if some of these- A rat. A rat, yes. And, and some of these things that, uh, that we're talking about on the show refer back to the, the definitions podcast that, that we did just recently. There'll be a link in the show notes. So malware was, was kind of a big thing this year. I could not believe how much Mac malware there actually was in the past year. One thing that I find interesting is in April, there was something that was an unofficial app store hidden in an app store app. Oh, yeah. This sounds like that woodchuck thing. How many? How much wood could a woodchuck chuck? chuck? How many app store (laughs) apps can be hidden in an app store app? (laughs) What about this? This didn't really affect us, did it? No, um, to me, this, this uh, this was quite a clever thing that somebody did. What they did was they took a Japanese language app and, and it was supposedly a financial helper program. That's, that's what this app supposedly was. And what its secret identity was, was a, a way to install apps onto your iOS device from an unofficial app store. So this unofficial app store was buried inside of this financial helper app. And it turned out that it would allow you to install these unofficial Mandarin Chinese language apps on your device, which is funny because again, this the the language of the app was Japanese, and you could install <laughs> Mandarin Chinese apps onto your onto your iOS device through this app. But were people installing? Were people choosing to install these apps intentionally, or these were malicious installations? No, this was, um, I mean, it really was an app store. You could choose a particular app, and and it might, in some cases, be one that Apple would never approve. Um, one of the things that you could do with this, and by the way, a lot of times, um, the way that unofficial apps have been installed onto iOS devices in the past has been through a process called jailbreaking. And basically what that means is that someone is exploiting a vulnerability in iOS in order to to get an app around Apple's process that enables other functionality that Apple doesn't want you to use and that opens up security risks on your device. Right. We have long recommended that people don't jailbreak their devices because not only does it open up security holes, but the way you get the apps allows things to be installed without security. And it's very easy for a man in the middle to stick something in an app that's a Trojan. It's 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 really messy. And, and since it's so much harder on iOS, when you get malware, since you can't have a, a malware scanner on iOS, 
it's harder to get rid of them without completely erasing the device. Right. Jailbreaking, you can kind of think of it like we enjoy relative security on iOS. It's not perfect. We know there are vulnerabilities and Apple patches them when they find them, but it's kind of like deciding that you're going to allow sideloaded apps on your Android device. And, you know, it, it kind of brings the iOS security down to like an Android level. Right. <laughs> that's that's kind of how I, I like to talk about jailbreaking. So one of the apps that was in this unofficial app store actually allowed you to jailbreak your device, however. Right. Even though this jailbreaking wasn't required to install this app, you could jailbreak your device using an app downloaded from this unofficial app store, which was obtained from the official app store. Well, of course, once Apple found out about this, they shut that down. But yeah, that was kind of an interesting story, wasn't it? Sim similar to the, the issue with my web server, there's a window of time between the moment these vulnerabilities are exploited and the moment when they get shut down. And that period means that people can uh, eventually get infected in this case and maybe not know about it later. Because once that original app has been deleted, maybe there's still something left behind. So one thing I noticed in your article, and you've got a lot of screenshots, is that old, familiar Adobe logo. You know, we mentioned it just recently, but I, it'll be a it'll be a wonderful day once Flash Player is dead and gone. I'm sure there will be probably people who are putting, you know, get Flash Player ads, uh, you know, fake Flash installers. They'll, they'll probably be around for at least a couple of years after Adobe is, has officially killed off Flash in 2020. But yeah, in the meantime, malware authors are exploiting this idea that, oh, I need to keep my Flash player up to date. People have this, this idea in their head because they see Flash updates all the time. And so malware creators put out these websites that are fake flash installers and so they get you to put some malware on your machine because they want you to think that it's flash player and this of course happened again um during the the 2017 year uh not surprising because we've seen that every single year and we've seen it multiple times a year <laughs> so how, how many years have you been running without flash uh you know what um flash is flash is an interesting beast um i generally do not um install flash for other browsers but it is still built into the chrome browser there's a version of flash player that's built into that browser and so um until google yanks it I mean, it, it's still Flash is still going to be around for a while. Now, one of the things that, um, you know, there are we, we should differentiate. So there's there there are actual Flash vulnerabilities in the real, true, legitimate Flash player. And that's one security risk. And that's why Flash is constantly getting updated. Right. And then there's the other risk, which is that it's possible for somebody to, to try to trick you into thinking that they're giving you the real official Flash player and then they're actually giving you some malware instead. And of course, if you do want the official Flash player, make sure you go to adobe.com and, and get the official version from them. And, and don't ever, if you ever see a website that's offering you Flash player, don't install it. Nine times out of 10, that's that's malware. I don't know how many years ago I uninstalled Flash. I finally gave up. And I occasionally come across a website that uses Flash and I just shrug my shoulders and move on. Because if they're not if they're not up to date, you know, with something like that, that means it's probably people who haven't been updating their website in a long time. Let's take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about some 
legitimate software downloads that were poisoned in 2017. Sometimes an offer comes along that you just can't ignore or resist. And here's one from Intego right now. For a limited time and for the first time ever, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get 60% savings on Intego software, including Mac Premium Bundle X9. Mac Premium Bundle X9 is a suite of terrific Intego software that includes the antivirus, anti-phishing, and anti-spyware protection of Intego Virus Barrier, home and hotspot firewall security from Intego Net Barrier, parental controls for peace of mind from Intego Content Barrier, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Download your free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today, and then use the promo code IntegoPodcast at checkout to save 60%. That's Intego Podcast to save 60% on complete Mac protection and security with Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9. This is a limited time offer that may never be repeated, so you must act soon. Save 60% on Mac Premium Bundle X9 or Mac Washing Machine Secure X9 or Mac Internet Security X9 using the promo code Intego Podcast at checkout. Intego devoted to protecting Apple products since 1997. Visit Intego.com today and save 60%. Going through your article, I see that there are two cases of legitimate software that was trojanized, that was poisoned. In other words, people would be downloading legitimate apps from the developers without realizing that someone had put a malicious payload inside them. Right. This is scary stuff. Uh, normally, what we like to recommend to people is if you can find a program on the Mac App Store that you want to download it from there, because, uh, you know, Apple has this vetting process. They run malware scanners and things like that. And, and, and there's this whole automated process that they go through anytime that someone submits an app or an app update to the Mac App Store. So whenever possible, you want to get your apps from there, from either the Mac App Store or the iOS App Store on your mobile device. In some cases, though, there are apps that Apple won't approve. So you have to figure out where you're going to get it from. And usually the best place that you can get one of those apps is from the developer's website. And we've long recommended that for years. Everyone in security don't download from a third-party site that that offers downloads of hundreds or thousands of apps. Go to the developer's website. It's safer. Just a recent example of why it's not a good idea generally to download things from these kind of unofficial app aggregation websites. Mac Update just recently had an, an issue where I believe it was three of their programs that they were uh, linking to. They were actually linking to a malicious download uh, instead of the original. We'll, we'll put a link to an article about that in the show notes, of course. But earlier in, in 2017, in, in May, uh, Handbrake, which is a, a program that um, is a, a, a video encoding program. I use it to rip DVDs all the time. Exactly. And that's one of the, the common uses of it. And that's exactly why Apple will not put it in the Mac App Store. Yeah. Because in some countries, that's not legal, um, or at least there's questionable legality of, of ripping your own DVDs. Yep. And Handbrake is run on a, a French web server. Handbrake.fr is their website. And... What happened is that their website, their download server, in fact, was actually compromised. 
So for a brief period of time, it was distributing a trojanized and infected version of Handbrake. And so when you would run the Handbrake software, it would say, oh, you need to install some video codecs onto your machine. And it would ask you to put in your password. Well, Handbrake had never done this before, but you know, people were thinking, oh yeah, well, I just downloaded it from the official Handbrake website. It's gotta be safe, right? And in, in some ways you might think it's normal that you would need to install additional codecs separately. Sure. And so people dutifully typed in their password and now their computer was infected because what you did was by typing in your password, you were authorizing malware to actually install itself and embed itself into your system. Although we, we generally like to recommend to people that, you know, to go download it from the developer's website if you can't get it from the Mac App Store, this was a case where that turned out to not be such a good thing. And, and again, it was because the developer's download server was compromised, which is something that does not happen very often, and it usually doesn't happen for very long, but it is certainly possible. Right, but what you said there is it's their download server, and often the download server has a different address than the main website because they have more bandwidth on the download server, maybe it's cheaper to serve up files, maybe it's an alias to an Amazon cloud server or something like that. It's not uncommon to, to see a download server with a different URL, and, and that wouldn't surprise anyone. Even if someone had just changed the URL, it wouldn't necessarily look like it was malicious because when you download software, if you pay attention to that, it's, it's relatively common. So if either the website is compromised and, and somebody changes out the links in, in that website, or if the download server itself is compromised and the links in the actual website are the same, you, you get the same effect. You end up with some malware or trojanized version of something that comes from the official website when you go there and click on the download link. Right. So that was in May. And in October, we saw another case. It happened again. Yes. Twice in the same year. And of course, it had also not uh, not once, but twice happened in 2016, where there was a BitTorrent client. Transmission. Right. And and the same thing had happened to them. So So now this also happens in May with Handbrake. Now it happens in October 2017 with a company called Eltima Software. They, they had two programs. One of them was L Media Player and one of them is called Folks. And both of these programs were temporarily infected with this uh, Proton malware, OS X Proton. And Proton is, is malware that could give an attacker control over an infected Mac to steal the victim's passwords, their cryptocurrency wallet. It, it could capture your browsing history, your login data, and, and other things. Again, these were downloadable from the developer's website. So one thing we recommend in case you get hit by malware or in case something happens to your computer is that you back up, that you back up and that you back up again. You back up your Mac. If you're really smart, you back up your backups. I know you do that. I do too. Yep. You back up your iOS devices, ideally to iTunes and to iCloud. So I thought maybe today we'd just have a quick look at backing up Macs and how you do it, uh, what gets backed up, how you back up, how many backups you need, etc. What's your strategy? Well, one of the things that I do, and, and it's it's very important to make sure that you have an offsite backup. And, and, and the reason for this is imagine that a thief comes into your home, they steal your computer and they steal your backup hard drive. Oops. <laughs> now you don't have any backups anymore. Another possibility, uh, you know, and of course... It, it's always possible that there could be some natural disaster or something, a fire. I have a friend whose house was hit by lightning last year and burned down. 
Now, obviously, he was struggling to save irreplaceable things like family photos. No one was hurt. He's a writer, and he made sure to save his computer and his backups and all that. But then he went for his family photos and all the irreplaceable things. And you may not have time to get everything out if that happens. Right. So an offsite backup is really important for, for this reason. And of course, there are services that you can subscribe to that will will take your, your drives. Um, it, it'll encrypt it, and it'll send it up to a server in the cloud, which really means a server that they're hosting somewhere on the internet. You can do offsite backups in two ways. One of them is using an online backup service like you just mentioned. And the other is maybe you take a hard drive with your backup into work. Every Friday, you rotate it with a new one. Maybe if you work at home like I do, you put it in someone else's house. Sure. If you don't know anyone nearby, get a safe deposit box at a bank. And barring that, get a fireproof safe that you can buy for, what, $50, stick in your basement or someplace else. These things are usually rated for a couple hours of fire. Unless you have an explosion or you know, an earthquake or something really serious, you'll be able to get at it. I, I also use Time Machine as, as well. That's another thing. So if you have an external hard drive, you can have Time Machine, you know, backing up your Mac's hard drive onto that external drive. Right. So I use a twofold local backup strategy. I use Time Machine and I use Intego Personal Backup. They back up in different ways. Time Machine essentially backs up everything. With Intego Personal Backup, I can exclude what I don't want to back up. For example, people who listen to my other podcast will know that I'm a music fan and I have a big music collection. So I do a backup of my music drive to three other drives. I rotate them. I back up my startup drive. I clone it to another drive, which means that I can reboot the computer off that external drive and copy everything back. And what I do with Time Machine is I don't copy the system files. I just copy everything else. And Time Machine keeps versions of all your files. Each time it does a backup, it's going to copy files that are new or files that have changed. And if a file hasn't changed in a year, it's not going to copy it, even though when you go into Time Machine to look at the backup, you see the file. This is a sort of file system trickery. It's called hard links. It's, it's sort of a ghost of a file that makes it appear in a lot of different places, but doesn't take up extra space. So with Time Machine, if you have, say, a four terabyte drive and, and normal computer usage, you could get a year's worth of backups on that before it starts deleting the old ones. Now, with Intego Personal Backup, the strategy is a little bit different. Each time it replaces the existing files with any that are changed, it deletes the ones that have been removed. So it creates more of a snapshot of what is currently on the computer. I find the two complement each other very well because Time Machine is automatic. It runs every hour, whereas Intego Personal Backup, I schedule to run every evening or in the morning, you know, early in the morning, two o'clock in the morning, something like that. So to, to me, it's the belt and suspenders approach, which is best. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So one thing to consider is what type of drive to use to back up your Mac. And I wrote an article about that about a year ago on the Intego Mac security blog, there are four types of drives, essentially. There is an external hard drive, which is pretty much what you mentioned for Time Machine and what most people use to back up. These are USB or Thunderbolt drives. They're plugged in all the time. You can turn them on when you need to back up. You can turn them off. For Time Machine, I leave them running all day because, again, Time Machine backs up automatically every hour. The advantage of these drives is they can be very large. I've switched all my drives last year to eight terabyte drives that are reasonably affordable. Uh, I have a principle in my mind that every hard drive will eventually fail. 
So I try to replace my hard drives every three to five years. I don't really feel comfortable keeping longer than that. And most of the time, if you if you look carefully at the drive specifications, most of the time they do not come with a warranty that lasts longer than three years. Usually they're one year, maybe three years. Very rarely will you find a hard drive that has longer than a three-year warranty. And, and that's because drives, especially spinning hard drives, which are the ones that have higher capacity, do not last as long as as a uh, flash-based storage drive might. Right. And and flash, flash storage SSDs is far too expensive to use for backups now. It's getting cheaper, but it's still extremely expensive. Whereas drives like this, these eight terabyte drives, they're about $200 each. And when you consider the value of your data, personally, it's my work data, it's my music collection, it's my photos. These are things that in some cases are irreplaceable. It's an investment worth making. So the second option, and, and this one will even save you a little bit of money, is to use internal hard drives, those silver looking things with the little plugs and pins at the end, and you put them in something that's called a drive dock. Now a drive dock is, is a device you connect to your computer via USB or maybe not Thunderbolt. I used to have one that worked with Firewire. And it's got one or two slots in it, and you just insert the drive, and then the Mac mounts it. This works exactly the same as an external drive. The difference is buying internal drives is a bit cheaper because they don't have all the cases and, and all the hardware that, that makes them run. And you can save a lot of space by using a bunch of internal drives and, and a drive dock instead of piling up a bunch of external drives, which are generally about twice as big as the drive itself. So this saves a lot of space and money. And plus, if you have old drives that you've upgraded from a Mac or from from a, a hard drive enclosure, you can recycle them for backups like this. Yeah, that's, that's actually a really good idea. I've used these um, external drive docks before, and and they really are simple to use. You just plug them in, um, and, and they have uh, USB options. Now they have USB 3 options, which will plug into your, your Thunderbolt port on your newer Macs. So yeah, I, I think that's a that's a great idea, and I like the idea of using internal hard drives because they're cheaper and they're smaller, like you said. Right. So the third option is to use a network drive, what's called a network attached storage device, and you can buy a lot of these. Some years ago, a network attached storage device was a really geeky thing, and over the years they've simplified the software, and anyone can set one of these up. You can stick it anywhere in your house where it can access the network. They generally don't have Wi-Fi, so they need Ethernet. You can set them up as a file server, in which case Intego Personal Backup can copy files directly. And some of them even have software that lets them run as a time machine server. So if you have, let's say, a couple of laptops and you can't really easily run time machine because you have to plug a drive in, this is a really good solution that you just take one of these drives and you point your laptops to it and it'll back up everything. And with Time Machine, it'll be automatic. With Intego Personal Backup, you can schedule it. Now, one thing that people should be careful of with, with these network-attached storage drives or NAS drives, or uh, some people uh, will refer to them, is um, sometimes they don't have the best security. So you do have to be careful about that. Um, do your research you know, before making a, a purchasing decision on one of these drives to make sure that there aren't any known vulnerabilities or that if there have been vulnerabilities in the past that there are, are firmware updates available to, to make those devices secure. Right, or just turn off remote access. So what's interesting is some of these devices can be set up to access remotely. 
I had one a few years ago uh, from Western Digital, and it had software that would connect to their server so it could find where the device was located. And I could even access my files from my iPhone. Let's say I wanted to find a picture that I might have stored on the, the NAS. I could get it with my iPhone no matter where I was. If you're worried about the security, you can just turn that off if you're just merely using it as a backup server in your house. So the fourth kind of drive is one that I really like. And, and this is really useful as we were talking about taking a drive off site. You can get these little portable hard drives. They're laptop sized drives. So a hard drive for a desktop computer is what's called a 3.5 inch drive. That's the size of the platter that spins. Laptops use a 2.5 inch drive. And one of these little drives is about the size of a deck of cards. And you can get a four terabyte for around $120. And I have several of these that I use for quick backups or for testing. Um, you could plug one of these into your Mac, run backup software, drop it in your briefcase, leave it in the office. They're really practical. Right. And you know what? They even have flash drives now that have some pretty high capacity on them. Yeah, but pretty high prices, too. That's true. They do tend to be pretty high prices if you're talking about something that's a terabyte or more. But uh, yeah, but that, that is also an option if you've got a little bit more money to spend on it or if you you know need to put it in a space that's a little bit smaller, maybe your back pocket or something, then a flash drive might be an option, too, depending on how much data you want to back up. So you've got lots of options. It's true that this is an extra step. When you've got a Mac, you just think everything's okay. And in order to back it up, you've got to buy something else, some sort of hard drive or something that you can put the data on. But we all know people who've lost data. They've lost their photos. They've lost their music. They've lost their wedding videos. And it just feels bad to tell them, well, we've all been telling you this for years, for 20 years, back up everything, back it up twice, three times. When you get your tax return, you might want to think of investing in at least one hard drive to keep your Macs backed up. One of the, th the things to remember that's really easy to remember, everyone can remember 321. 321 backup strategy is three total copies of your data, two are local, but on different drives, and one of them is offsite. 321 backup strategy is, is something that uh, is commonly recommended. That sounds like a great way to stay secure, Josh. <laughs> That's right. Stay secure, Kirk. Remember, you can save 60% on Intego software by using the code INTEGOPODCAST at checkout. Hurry, the 60% savings offer won't last long. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every episode, be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. Links to topics and information Kirk and Josh mentioned in the podcast can be found in the show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where you'll find details on the full line of award-winning Intego security and utility software, intego.com. <laughs>